I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 9th, 1984, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles for the 56th Annual Academy Awards, honoring the best films of 1983. Got Johnny Carson here, presiding over the ceremony, and it is time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. The winner is Terms of Endearment. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please, a podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. We are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. And it is 1983. Rance, I'm really excited about this year. There's quite a few movies that I love, have seen a bajillion times. Um, But let's start with our ceremony. We have Johnny Carson back. Um, There was something that I saw how this ceremony ended with Sammy Davis Jr. and Liza Minnelli breaking out into song and dance for the song There's No Business Like Show Business honoring Ethel Merman, who I believe I read passed away just one month prior to this ceremony. I thought that's kind of a cool send-off for such a legend. Such a legend. Yeah, although interestingly, not a huge film career, but she has such a... True. She had such a presence in the few movies she did make and, of course, um, was a legend on the stage, including originating uh, the role of uh, Gypsy's mother, Rose, in the musical Gypsy. Yes. Which is, um, to many, uh, call that the the greatest uh, stage musical ever written. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the King Lear of female you know, stage Broadway parts. It is the ultimate part for any female. I can't say that I haven't at various points in my life watched the compilation video that has all the different people playing Rose oh and God. how they and how they do the last section of Rose's turn. Anyway. Okay, well here's a question for you. Which do you prefer? Yeah. Patty Lapone or Bernadette Peters? I'm going to go with Patti Lapone. Me too, me too, me too, me too. Yeah. Oh, God, I just, her voice. I mean, I love Bernadette Peters' voice. Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now, it's going to be my turn. Gangway will get off of my runway. Starting now, I bet a thousand this time, boys. I'm taking a thousand. Everything's coming up. It's There's rougher, a rougher it's- quality. She's just more vicious. Yes. Yes. She's just... And I feel like the character is... Yeah. But I have to say, like, even though she's she's dubbed for a lot of it, I do think Rosalind Russell is a very good actress for that role. There you go. Definitely. I love that. Yeah. The acting is good. Okay. Moving along. I will say for this ceremony as well... They decided not to give out an Oscar for Best Makeup this year, even though we introduced this category a few years back. There's no makeup category, and I think it's kind of weird. I feel like a very easy win here could have been The Return of the Jedi. Something, something, something dark side. I don't know. To me, I have no idea. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so bizarre. Me. Isn't that weird? That's so bizarre. I don't know. Um, yeah. There's really no rhyme or reason to it. I can't tell you why. I know the year before, 1982, I think there were only two movies nominated for makeup. Maybe they only had one submission from The Return of the Jedi, and they were like, well, I guess we can't have a whole category. I have no idea, but I thought that was very weird. Well, it's interesting because the um, the movie Tinder Mercies breaks mm-hmm. through with a Best Picture nomination, and Universal, who released the movie earlier, pretty early in 1984, did not expect to get nominations for Tinder Mercies and did not push it as an Oscar movie. And it was a total surprise to get especially the Best Picture nomination, but a few other, but also Best Director for Bruce Barrettsford and some other noms as well. So um, that breaks through. And that'll be an interesting thing to discuss in a moment um, because should something else be in that place is going to be the question. So... Um, but it was kind of an unlikely movie because it appealed to um, to country western movie, which is not right. the audience that's typically watching these Oscar-y movies. So it, it's kind of a, a down-home movie sneaking its way in. True. Very, very I true. I do have some... I did watch the opening with Johnny Carson. Okay. Um, who's funny, as always. He told some <laughs> funny jokes. Always, always. Um, he said that uh, they were going out to an audience of 500 million people um, who will all be on the Hollywood freeway when the 1984 Olympics start in the summer. Oh, man. That's true. The Olympics were just around the corner. Yes. In L.A. They were in L.A. In too. L.A. The 84 was a big year for L.A. Good Lord. He also Good talked Lord. about how, how um, widespread campaigning had gotten by mentioning that the ladies of the evening on Sunset Boulevard were now wearing signs that said, for your consideration. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and he asked everyone to remember that tonight's winner is next year's question in Trivial Pursuit. Ah, um, that's good. And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. He was talking about what the movies were about. He mentioned the movie Under Fire. He said it's about, you know, a violent... Um, violence between a left, the left and the right, um, and he said it was shot on location at the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so there were some fun. Good. There were some fun little jokes from from Johnny Carson, as always. Love that. Love that. All right, let's break off and get into some snubs for this year. Yes, I am relatively light on my snubs this year. I I agree with a lot of what happened. My only snub is in the Best Supporting Actor category. (laughs) I would have loved to have seen Jeff Daniels here for Terms of Endearment. Mm -hmm. I realize that there's already two Supporting Actor nominations for Terms of Endearment, both very deserved, Nicholson and John Lithgow, excellent. But Jeff Daniels doesn't have an Oscar nomination for anything, and I think this, this feels like the easiest one to nominate him for, and I think he's so phenomenal in everything he does. I would have loved to have seen him get a nomination here. And I'm fine with there being three supporting actor nominations for Terms of oh, Endearment. Yeah. That is perfectly acceptable to me. And he is great as Deborah Winger's husband, adulterous husband, Flap. What a name. I love it. 
Um, I love Jeff Daniels. I love Jeff Daniels in that movie. I love Jeff Daniels on the TV series The Newsroom, if anyone watched that. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Emmy well-deserved. He's got a plethora of Emmys, but well, has never gotten into the Oscar race. The The opening scene of the entire series The Newsroom is <laughs> one of the best monologues of all time. That but, was fantastic. Um, absolutely fantastic. But um, I... Um, I kind of feel like if you're going to talk about these supporting categories, I think it's odd that Glenn Close is the only representative of the big chill. Very true. Very true. Um, Glenn Close is is great, and I, I, I'm always on board with her getting a nomination. Don't get me wrong. But I think that that is such a great ensemble of a mm-hmm. cast. Everybody's perfect in their roles. Um, I would have loved to have seen Kevin Klein representative represented again because i think he's great in the movie i think william hurt is really good in the movie yes um i also really really like i think most of all of all the men um and this is maybe his um one of his best opportunities he does get a nomination later but i think tom berenger as the kind of tv star character is the most interesting and has the most to do i also love 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 mary Kay place in the she's movie. fantastic and i think she probably no offense to glenn has the best supporting role in this film and yet she's not represented which is so weird to me very um, weird yeah i mean i think glenn close is kind of the breakout star but you know mary Kay place is also a super interesting person if you've ever done any research on her because she is also a writer and a director she um wrote for the mary tyler moore show way way oh, back wow. um in the day she also wrote um she also uh let's see um i want to i want to get her filmography correct uh she also wrote for um the tv series mash um i know okay okay um, and she directed several episodes of tv shows including friends no way yeah oh, i yeah. love that um, and, and in addition to having a career that has gone on forever, and she's one of those actresses, you may not know her name, but you've seen her in so many things. And so I, I wanted to name check a few people in this cast, but I think The Big Chill is definitely a film that should be represented in other acting ways. And I think Mary Kay Place and Tom Berenger are the most deserving of those people. Um, I also find it odd that it's not in the best director race. Yeah, that's very true. I agree with that. That was, I think it's the only one that was nominated for picture, but didn't get a direction. Not, am I, no, I'm incorrect. Cause the right stuff didn't either. All right. So we didn't really line up this year. Silkwood and Fanny and Alexander, they, they love, excuse me. They love some Ingmar. They do, and they love Mike Nichols. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, we all do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna complain about a Mike Nichols no, nomination, me but <laughs> me either. I'm just gonna ass- assume that Tender Mercies is the movie I don't want in there. <laughs> you know what? Tender Mercies is. Uh, it's very sweet. It's 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 got a great heart, and I will say the story is wonderful. But mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a big movie. Do you know what I mean? 
don't know if that. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if my best picture nominees need to be big movies. I think I've made a case for myself that I like the smaller, more intimate dramas. But there's something a little slight. I do. There's something a little slight about Tender Mercies. And maybe it's just because we've gotten so many variations of Tender Mercies now since it's come out. I mean, even uh, recently within the last couple of decades, uh, Jeff Bridges' win for Crazy Heart. Very similar story um, and progression of character development. So, you know, maybe that's kind of what I'm thinking about now where Tender Mercies doesn't really seem all that original anymore. You know, but it's very well done. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, <laughs> I think I think The Big Chill is kind of a game changer. Big Chill know? is a good movie. I would, yeah, but I agree with you. I'll save that because we have... Fair enough. Well, okay, let's great. actually, let's break off. Let's go into our spotlights now. I think we're both a little eager to discuss some of these movies because I've got mm-hmm. a big one that I have to talk about, Rans. I have to talk about... Tom Courtney's performance in The Dresser. You've been waiting for this. I have. I love this movie so much, and I really want people to go out and watch it. I think you'll love it. Um, this movie did receive, I think, five nominations. Picture, two actor nominations, uh, direction, and screenplay, all very well-deserved. Um, and it's a movie about an aging Shakespearean actor who is only referred to as Sir in the movie, and he's played by fellow Best Actor nominee Albert um, uh, Albert Finney. Uh, and it's also about his backstage dresser slash assistant slash servant, basically Norman, and that's Tom Courtney. Uh, and he's worked with Sir for decades and decades, and he has to help Sir, who is suffering from dementia and old age. He has to help him perform King Lear one last time. And there's something just so simple about this movie, which is based on the play of the same name. Most of it takes place uh, in the backstage area of the theater in Sir's dressing room as Norman is frantically doing all that he can to make sure the play runs smoothly, uh, that Sir is has all of his lines down, his his entrances, his cues all down. He basically holds his hand throughout this entire show. Uh, while we see him, though, sneaking little sips of alcohol here and there just so he can make it through this final performance and the evening uh, because he is slowly becoming aware that Sir is really fighting for his life. You know, it becomes very clear that, oh, this may be the last time he's ever on the stage. And by the end of the movie, we do see Sir collapse in his dressing room after finishing the show. And Norman, this is the scene that kind of just clinches everything for me. It is, it is the, the scene that I guarantee you gave Tom Courtney his nomination. We see him uh, like paging through an autobiography that Sir was writing about his life. And he gets to the page where the thank yous are, and he realizes that Sir has not thanked him, even though he's been his dresser for decades and decades since the very beginning. And finally, Norman just breaks down, and he just lays into Sir, telling him what a piece of shit he is, how awful he's been to him, how the only reason he's he made it as long as he did is because he was helping him, only to realize that Sir has passed away. He does finally die in the end. And after that we realize that not only was Norman his dresser, but he was also in love with him. And it's just heartbreaking when he realizes he's dead and he never got to tell him that. And, you know, there's this is also taking place back in the 1930s, 40s? I think it's during World War II. Um, and obviously homosexuality is not discussed or talked about. 
Um, but you see that kind of love break through in the end as he finally embraces his dead <laughs> boss, essentially, and refuses to let go as people try to pull him away. It's heartbreaking. Such a heartbreaking end to a really incredibly tense movie. Um, and for me personally, this should have been Tom Courtney's Oscar for Best Actor. He far and away gives the best performance. Albert Finney is great as well, but there is something so pure and sweet about Tom Courtney in The Dresser, and it, there's no performance like this, and I think if you watch it, if anybody watches it, you would understand as well. Well, that was um, such an amazing pitch. Oh, Good thank job. Thank you. Good. I just want people to watch it. I think you'll love it. I'm, I would love to see this on the stage. I would love to do this on the stage. I think this show will never, like, not be entertaining. You know, you could do this play anywhere, anytime. It's very simple to put on, to do, and I think it'll always, um, it'll always go over well. Well, the actor has spoken. Yes, yes, um, yes. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just realized that there was something I didn't mention a second ago that I probably should have mentioned under snubs. Oh, please do. And I want to apologize to my patron saint, Barbara Streisand. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Yes. Um, because I do hear her. Papa, can you hear me? You sure do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, she won Best Director at the Golden Globes mm-hmm. this year. Was the yes. first woman to do so, and the only woman to do so until uh, Catherine Bigelow won for The Hurt Locker many years later. Um, she is, um, I think that's right. Is it mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow who's the next one? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, Barbara Streisand, um, here's the deal. <laughs> you can have whatever opinion you want to about Yentl. Some people love it. Some people don't love it. It is, um... A very, uh, I think, at the very least, an astonishing achievement um, that is in that is deserving of some recognition from the Academy. Yes, and the fact that it is relegated to, um, you know, basically the also ran categories, you might say, you know, um, the categories that they put movies uh, in that they don't feel are deserving of the bigger awards. Um, I don't I don't like the way I said that because that makes it sound like I think those awards aren't any good. Let me say that again. Like the technical categories, right? You're talking about like... The fact that... Art direction, costume, sound, scoring. Yes. The Academy seems to almost very intentionally relegate Barbara Streisand's directorial debut to the technical, technical categories. And I think that Barbara Streisand is a multi-talented individual who um, deserves to be represented. I mean, like, if she won the Golden Globe, she probably should at least be nominated for Best Director. Sure. Um, She also gives a great performance in the film. I think that she'd be a a great representative and Best Actress, even though it is a very tough category. So It is tough. 
That's um, fair. You know what? And a lot of people also think she was snubbed for Best Director. She famously spoke to a bunch of publications about how she felt she was snubbed. And this isn't the first time it happens. It happens again in 1991 with Prince of Tides. So I think it may be more egregious in 1991 just because it gets a yes. Best Picture nomination. Oh, yes. That, An actor yes. and supporting actress. And yeah, definitely. It is it's, very, it seems very specific about Barbara yeah. at this point. And I think this is a blowback that I think has as much to do with sexism as it does with anything else. So mm, yes, I mean we can definitely we know we know that the academy, especially 1983, is very very sexist. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about you know a lot of people knock her for supposed diva ness, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I mean think about how mean and eccentric so many male filmmakers are. Think about the way that Stanley Kubrick conducted him on self with Shelley Duvall and you don't mm. see the same type of um, dialogue around Barbara Streisand as a director as you do with those guys. Right, because the people having that dialogue are also men. <laughs> yeah, the people so, running all of these publications about you know the, f- the film trades and stuff, like they're written by men. So of course you're getting a male perspective, you know. <laughs> and like if if the most eccentric thing about Barbara Streisand is true, he's still not doing. She's still not doing what Kubrick did to Shelley Duvall on no, the set. Exactly, of The Shining. So that's that's my point about why I think that Barbara gets a bad rap and why everybody should download her new album, Release Me 2, next month on iTunes. You better pitch that. So, I love that. <laughs> because I am a Streisand fan. <laughs> Let it be known. Let it be known. She duets with Kermit the Frog on the new album. Listen, sold. That's all you have to tell me. <laughs> okay. Um... I let's get back to to spotlights. Yes, give me your spotlights. Me. Um. Okay. Um. So I just watched The Big Chill for the first time, Yay. and I want to spotlight the brilliance that is that movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was trying to focus in on like what is it that I want to talk about The Big Chill because there, are, I think, are a lot of elements that go into making it work. Yeah. As a movie. Um. Because there is, it, it, it's deceptively simple because it's just a bunch of people basically hanging out over a weekend. Um, you know, these uh, seven friends, they have an eighth friend um, who would have been played by Kevin Costner if we had ever seen him. Correct, um, correct. We only see him, we only see his body getting dressed for the funeral at the beginning. But, um, but they cut the scenes that included a flashback with Kevin Costner. Um, he has committed suicide. They get together for his funeral and they end up spending the week together. They are originally this kind of group of eight that hung out together in college. Um, and then their lives kind of went different directions and they still have this great bond. But, you know, for the most part, they kind of fell off except for two of them who got married to each other. That's Kevin Klein and Glenn Close. And, um, you know, everyone has gone on to their various careers and, it's like watching the, the baby boomers who were in all of the Vietnam protests and whatnot come of age, realize that they're in their middle age, in the Reagan era, and where is their life going now? Yes. And um, it's, uh, 
and there's also an eighth person there played by Meg Tilly, who um, is the much younger uh, girlfriend of the deceased um, friend. Um, Meg Tilly was also in a movie called Psycho 2 in 1983, by the way. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> which I am not going to say as a snub, but I am a defender of that film. Anyway, um, I think it's really fun. Um, but um, the thing that I think makes... there's The performances are great. The script is great. But there's there's something that I think is perfect about this movie that actually can't even get a nomination because it doesn't fit any category. It's the soundtrack. Yes, that's what I was going to say. The soundtrack of this movie is famous. It's it's one of the best-selling movie soundtracks of all time. And you probably know every single song on the soundtrack. And if you were to watch it now, I don't know if it would seem as revolutionary as it probably did in 1983. Mm -hmm. But the way that pop music, um, which is representing the time period that they were in college, so these are songs from the late 60s and early 70s, um, the way that it's rep- the way that it's used to tell the narrative, the way that it's edited along with the video, all of that, um, which becomes a trope in the '90s, is basically cemented with the Big Chill. Yeah, and the Big Chill uses music. Um, I mean, like the best, exa- the best example, I think. <laughs> The scene in which, um, big, big, big spoiler, please skip ahead if you haven't watched the movie because this is a big spoiler, the scene in which uh, Glenn Close gives permission to, uh, or get, or sets up Kevin Klein to, um, her husband, to sleep with Mary Kay Place so that she can have a baby, um, is set to the song, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. And... It's perfect. Yeah. It's just like such a perfect song selection. And it's a song I've heard a million times, but this movie does such a good job of matching song to mood. Song yes, to mood. Yes, absolutely. And there's very little in the way of score. It's basically all just that. And I, I just love the way... Um, I love the way... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, Lawrence Castan. Mm-hmm. The writer uh, and director. The yeah. writer and director. Um, I love the way he he uses that. You know, it's just all like uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival and the Rolling Stones and the Temptations and Mamas and it, the Papas, and it just mixes so well. Yes, it's it's such a brilliant use of sound. Yes, you might say. I would um, agree. Thank you for agreeing with me. I needed that validation. <laughs> As if that's something a million people haven't said about this movie before, but still. It's great. The Big Chill really is wonderful. Good. And I, I wonder, do you wonder if like, there's a lack of nominations in the acting categories because maybe they were trying to push for some of them in the leading categories? 
Like, do you think they were trying to put? I know it's all I very don't ensemble. No, because Glenn Close is. You could argue Supporting. that she's a lead just as much as anybody else. You know. Right. I was wondering if maybe they were trying to push Kevin Klein in lead, and this is a very stacked leading actor category. It is. And leading actress. Kevin Klein so. is always good. Always and good. Kevin Phenomenal. Klein does end up getting an Oscar, so it's not like. Mm-hmm. True. 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 Kevin Klein like, has a triple crown. Too. Yes, I'll say this too. Kevin Klein is a little over the top for me in Sophie's Choice in 82, just one year back. But you watch him in The Big Chill, and it's like night and day. It's like all of a sudden he was like, oh, right, film acting is different than stage acting. And he's just so poised and grounded in The Big Chill, and that sets up the rest of his film career. He gets it finally, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a great film actor now. I uh, There's nothing that Kevin Klein can't do. He's one of my... <laughs> He is one of my absolute favorites, and I love, love, love um, In and Out. Yes, In and Out's great. We'll um, get to that in the '90s. Oh, that will be a snub for that something. Will be a snub, yes. Um. <laughs> anyway, yes, I um I love that movie, and I also very briefly mm-hmm. um one to spotlight one Miss Shirley MacLaine. Oh yes. Um, we'll talk more about Terms of Endearment as a movie in a second, but I just want to spotlight Shirley MacLaine as an actress at this point in her career yes. and what led to this moment, because Shirley MacLaine, um, she actually makes a joke when she accepts the Oscar. She says um, that the show has been as long as her career, because <laughs> um, it had been going on for a very long time by the time they got to the actress category, and she... She's brilliant in this movie, but Shirley MacLaine has, there's, she's one of those people, kind of like Kevin Klein, where I'm like, is there anything you can't do? Because she started out in the 50s as, you know, a, a new kind of leading lady, very different energy than you've ever seen from anybody. Um, she did get some nominations. You could argue that she was possibly robbed of, of the apartment. You I know, would like argue that. that. Is, <laughs> um, I definitely think, you know, if Elizabeth Taylor doesn't almost die in real life, that might have been Shirley MacLaine's Oscar. Oh, man. If only. You know. So after The Apartment, she continues doing a career that has so many layers to it. And one of the things I think is coolest about her is that she was a dancer and a singer. And she did movies like What a Way to Go and Sweet Charity which really show off her dancing ability, which show off her singing ability. She's a real triple threat of a performer. There's literally nothing that she can't do. And as she goes through the years, she proves herself over and over again. And she keeps having more successes than most uh, actresses of her vintage are having as they age. You know, she's a contemporary of people who I think are also... I, I would say somebody who is uh, similarly talented, Debbie Reynolds, mm-hmm. um, is about the same age as Shirley MacLaine is and does not transition the way that she does. Right. There's just something about Shirley MacLaine's persona that really, uh, I think, feels maybe a little bit more modern. Mm. Yeah. And that's probably what allows her to get to that point. And then the big thing that happens for her is that she gets Terms of Endearment. And Terms of Endearment, I think, starts a whole new chapter of her career where she's accepted as an older woman 
um, even though she's not even 50, I don't think in real life at this point, she turns 50 uh, just after she wins that Oscar. Because um, she was born in April. I just checked it out. She turns 50 the year she wins the Oscar. I love that. Um, and, and then she gets to graduate to these older roles um, that are meaty. And really, she is, for a while, one of the very, very few maybe the only um, actress of her vintage that is getting those parts because they barely exist to begin with and she just becomes the go-to person. And so um, she, a few years from from this point, is going to play the mother of her fellow nominee, Meryl Streep, um, in uh, another one of her best roles, Postcodes from the Edge. So um, Shirley MacLaine, though, I think is a testament to... I, I mean, like, how much of it is luck, how much of it is talent, but I think a lot of it's just staying in the game, you know? Oh, yeah, and also allowing yourself to evolve with the changing of times. I think a lot of actresses try to push back on either their aging or the way the industry develops, and I think Shirley MacLaine was always just like, I just want to keep working, I'll do whatever it takes, you know? And she And it's no coincidence. Roles. And it's no coincidence that she ends up winning for a a part of a woman who is hesitant about aging. Why should I? Why should I be happy about being a grandmother? Yes. Who has feelings about aging. Who is uncomfortable with um, how how old her daughter is, you know? Right. Um, So, uh, yes. I I think... um, Shirley MacLaine is one of our gifts in the uh, in the uh, galaxy of stardoms. Yes, <laughs> and I'm so glad that she finally won, and she won for a role that she is so deserving, um, and that she won against her on-screen daughter, who she apparently did not have a good working relationship with. So that is very true. So let's I mean, let's move over, let's, shall we? Let's I think go we're in. let's go. We are approaching the subject. Let's get into the main event. We're going to talk about terms of endearment. So this is a story of a strained mother-daughter relationship between Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger, both nominated for Best Actress, Uh, and their love-hate dynamic is constantly being put to the test as their everyday lives don't really turn out how either of them expected. That's our jumping-off point. Uh, This is a slice-of-life movie. It is... Uh, family drama. It is... Oh, God. it's, 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 It's such a realistic portrayal of these two relationships and I think it yeah you know and it's just so it's so good I don't know how I don't know how it does it I was actually I'm, I'm gonna ask you here what are your what are your thoughts on this movie this is always cited as being the ultimate tearjerker so tell me do you cry when you watch this did you cry the first time every time tell me um well I never cry so <laughs> that's um, right you don't have tear ducts I forget yeah, no, I I well up, but I won't cry. Cry, um, it does make me well up. Okay. Okay, which is uh, any movie that does that is 
is is farther ahead than most movies. Um, <laughs> it's doing something right. <laughs> Um, but you do touch on something I think uh, is what works about this, and something I love about James L. Brooks as a writer, as well as a director, because um, I think this is true in um, Broadcast News, which we'll talk about in a few years, yes. another great James L. Brooks um, title. Honestly, it's it's present in, I mean, a lot of people know him for The Simpsons, but it's present, I think, in... Um, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, if anybody's ever watched that series. Um, there is a humanity to his characters. Um, and you mentioned earlier, I, I think what best illustrates this, uh, Jeff Daniels, who ultimately plays a cheating husband, mm-hmm. is not some one-dimensional cardboard cutout of yes. a cheating husband. He is a multi-layered individual, and you you do, you get complexity to that marriage and to that relationship that in lesser hands just he would just be the bad guy right we see all of their needs and all of their wants very early on in this movie and as the the film progresses and all these characters get older we start to make them see them making decisions based on what they wanted their lives to be and how that kind of messes with their current state of affairs so yeah you're right it's very we, we understand the choices they make even though they're shitty choices we get why this character was motivated to do that yeah i mean that's that's the perfect way to put it and i mean we also that's where you know you you put it so so perfectly when you said that they make decisions we understand even when we don't like them yeah um because these are just, I think, testaments to characters who are truly multidimensional and who are very imperfect. And you you see you see all those moments where you were like, oh, if you would just understand this or if you would just say this instead of that. But, you know, it's always... Um, you, you're always approaching it from a place where you completely are in the moment with that person and you you know what they're feeling. If you are doing something and you're trying to make me feel crazy because I'm bearing our child, then you may have just sunk to a point so low that you will never recover. You may have just panicked, Flap, and trying to save yourself, you've thrown out your character and your principles. Now, the only way you could possibly redeem yourself and be the man that God intended you to be is to admit to me anything that you might have been doing last night. Because if you don't do that, if you don't do that right now, you are a lost man. A shell. A bag of shit dust. Uh, It's just, um... (sighs) You know, it is a tearjerker. But a tearjerker doesn't work unless you have properly you have you have poured a foundation that allows people to feel when you get to that last act where the bad stuff happens right um and the reason that terms of endearment succeeds is because of the character work that we're talking about right now which sets up the moment where you see shirley mclean boil over which is when she demands the pills it's after 10. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, it's not my patient. It's time for her shot. You understand? Do something. All she has to do is hold on until 10. And it's past 10. She's in pain. My daughter is in pain. Give her the shot. You understand? You're going to behave. Give her the 
a scene that has been parodied so many times. Yeah. Um, whenever she demands the pills, even though it has been parodied a million times, it still works in the context of the movie. Yes. Because it it's justified. Mm-hmm. You know, if you saw it by yourself, you might think she's going over the top, but she's not. Yeah. Like, that character earned that moment. You and know? also, we've set up that that character already is over the top. You know what I mean? We We understand she's a mother, you know, who is having a hard time letting go of her child and becoming a grandmother, as she says. Um, yeah, you know, so we, we kind of already are introduced to her antics and the way she handles stress and tough situations. Yes. So yes. when she does have that outburst, it's, it is very, it feels validated and it feels real. Yes. Yeah. I and want to ask you, who is your favorite character in this? Which of the characters is your favorite? Oh, it's 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 Aurora. It's, it's Aurora. It's, I had to. Yeah, we have to call her by her name. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, obviously. Yes. Um, I will. I mean, like, if I mean, like, I have an older actress bias. To be fair. <laughs> yeah. But um. But I I think it's her story, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely her story. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though I'm sure Deborah, Deborah Winger, Winger thinks it's hers, <laughs> I I think it's a co-lead. I'm not upset about them both being nominated in the same category. I think it is a co-lead mm-hmm. for sure. I agree. I just think that ultimately the perspective tilts to Aurora. I agree with you. Yeah, I think so too. Um, okay, which of the men do you like? Tell me which of the men. Basically, my question you know, is. Jack Nicholson or John Lithgow? If you, if you could vote for Best Supporting Actor, would you still give it to Jack or would you give it to John? No, I'd give it to Jack. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. I, oh, I love know, John Lithgow in this movie, but yeah. Do you know what it is I think about Jack Nicholson for this movie? He's so I think fucking funny. This... You're just going to have to trust me about this. this one thing. You need a lot of drinks. To break the ice. To kill the bug that you have up your ass. He's hilarious, but I think that he he establishes the next um, act of his career, kind of in the same way that Shirley MacLaine does. Oh, but, okay. But yeah. you know, we've had Jack Nicholson up to this point as uh, he was a, a leading man um, in a more traditional sense, with the exception of The Shining. Well, um, very dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. Lots of, but he's younger. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this movie establishes him as a middle-aged, you know, out-of-shape person. Um, right, yeah. You know, and he does not... I, I That's the Jack Nicholson that sticks for the rest of his career. Very true. It's it's almost like he's on something, and it's everyone who watches is like, I want to be on what he is on, because he's just having yeah. a good time. <laughs> because I don't think... I think the his role in As Good As It Gets is just kind of an extension of what he starts here, you know? Yeah, so. and also to keep with that theme of, of you know, transitioning into a different part of their career, he's also in the movie the character that helps Aurora move on to the next part of her life. Yes. You know? So, so it's he's, appropriate. He's very important. It's appropriate what this movie represents in their careers as well. Yeah. Then. So. Very true, um, yeah. Uh, do you prefer John Lithgow? Is that what you're going to say? I was thinking about it because I think his character is so interesting, and he plays um, the guy that Deborah Winger cheats on 
her husband with. So there's a lot of infidelity going on here, and she carries on this affair with John Lithgow, even though there's definitely not a lot of passion there. It's definitely like a, an affair of convenience, it seems like, because she has nobody she feels like she can actually talk to, and he happens to be someone who will give her FaceTime. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, just, I think he's kind of a bumbling fool in this movie, and it's very entertaining, but no, you know, after talking, I, I think Jack Nicholson is is my preferred man in this movie. And I, I like his win over John Lithgow. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I mean, like, if someone's going to have three Oscars... Yeah. <laughs> I, it should be Jack. I get it. And, like, this is such a different role for him, as we were talking about. And I think it was probably a little shocking to audiences to be like, oh, my God, he's so funny he's but it's how we know him now you know like i feel like this is what people think of when they think of jack nicholson they think of this and as good as it gets Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like as personality goes i think that we still we still think of cuckoo's nest and shining and all that but but i think that when people think like they say the words jack nicholson and they think like what's jack nicholson's personality like yeah this is what they would say this is what they would say now let's talk about this so terms of endearment we have female-led movie, a co-female-led movie, and this movie became the second highest grossing film of the year. I think, you know, worldwide it made, what is it, like $130, $140 million at the box office? That's a shit ton of money. So why is it, do you think, Rans? We've talked about this a couple of times now. When a female-led movie does very well at the box office, it almost seems like we get a pushback to where... We don't see many female-led movies being produced in the following years, you know? And I'm just curious why you think that is. Why, even though this movie has proven that female-led movies can be successful at the box office, it still seems like there is a struggle with getting them made, especially after getting them made, getting them in front of the people who will give them awards recognition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean... This is the first uh, female-dominated Best Picture winner we've had um, since the, the Sound of Music. Isn't that right? I think that's what we said last week. I think that is right, which is yeah. tragic. Yeah, yeah. So this is, um, this is an unfortunate reality where um, any time the status quo is threatened... There's a pushback. And even though this is the status quo, keep in mind that the the glory for this night still ends up going to a guy. James L. Brooks, who wins three Oscars for this movie, picture direction and screenplay. And that's not to knock his capabilities. And and certainly he does write strong female characters. Um, I mean, he, again, will do so in broadcast news as well. But... um, the fact is, all of this really does point to the fact that even though this female-led movie wins, we still looked over the woman who had a big movie this year. Very true. So you have, yeah, you kind of had that push and pull that we always talk about with the Oscars. You you get a little, you give a little. You take a little, you bring a little. You know, there's they're really always trying to... It feels like they're always trying to please, I don't want to say everybody, but they're trying to please what they think the core film audience is, right? 
it feels like they always think it's men. Men go to see the movies. They bring their wives, their girlfriends to see movies, you know? And it just feels it's so men. strange to me. Yeah, you know? And yeah. it's like, no, there's there can be a totally separate market for females, you know? And who will take their boyfriends to see movies? And I don't know. I just... To me, it's always funny that I, I think it's a little strange that we call this like the ultimate tearjerker, and I think there's something connected with that, with it being a female-led film that people automatically think then, that means you're going to cry, or it's emotional, or it's sappy, you know? Why can't we have a, a male-driven film that's called a tearjerker? It is. It's called Brokeback Mountain, but we'll get into that movie later. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? It just, I don't know, to me it just seems like Hollywood thinks you got two female leads, it means this is a, a, a three-hanky film, you know? It's like, or it's just a really great emotional family drama. It's all in, like, the phrasing of how we package yes. these movies. And, don't um, you know, don't write a film. Don't write a film based on who is in it. Yeah, totally. Give it a chance. And plus, this has a fun little part for Danny DeVito in this movie. I remember the first time I watched it and being like, oh my god, that's Danny DeVito. Or at first, I I think when I watched it when I was little, I was like, oh, that's Matilda's dad. (laughs) That was my my only, like, reference to Danny DeVito. As as many of us know him. Um, (laughs) He's in in so many important Jack Nicholson films, too. True. Um, Or at least two. Um, Yeah. Um, the only other note that I have about this year yeah, that I just saw and it's not connected to anything else. I love that. In the Best Actors category, Meryl Streep stars with her future Dynamo co-star is, is, um, is in the Best Actors category with Julia Walters. I love that. Who I love will that. later... So I, I love this because she will later star with Shirley MacLaine and she'll later star with Julie Walters. Listen, there's a moment where Meryl is accepting a Golden Globe Award and she looks out in the audience and she says, I think oh. I've worked with everyone in the room. And she's not lying. She has worked with and, everyone. And she was with Jane Alexander in Kramer vs. Kramer. Yes, she was. So, um, and I don't, did she ever make a movie with Deborah Winger? I don't, I don't think, think she so. did. I don't think she so did. So that's the only one. But a four out of five. That's not bad. Four. I mean, three out of four, I should say. Yeah. Um, of her fellow nominees, she did work with eventually. Totally. And honestly, Meryl Streep was probably the runner up in this category. <laughs> she very well could have been. <laughs> Either I mean, her Silkwood is another great. And I think that this is the first time. Excuse me. Outside of um, at the end of Deer Hunter, where she's with a group of people, this is the first time we get Meryl Streep singing. Oh, she sings in Silkwood. Yeah, she sings "Amazing Grace" over the last section. Oh, she does work. Okay, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, it's she's also, fabulous in Silkwood. It's also, I believe, the second movie for Cher. Right, and this was her, yes, and this was her kind of establishing a more dramatic side to her. And she's wonderful in this movie. She plays Meryl Streep's roommate, who is a lesbian and brings in a girlfriend. And they have, there's a lot of relationship dynamics there as well. She's very good. She's very good. I think Silkwood's a great movie. Um, But again, I do do think Shirley MacLaine (laughs) deserved this 
leaps and bounds even over Meryl Streep. 100%. Oh, no, this is Shirley MacLaine's Oscar. It's funny because I think Shirley MacLaine is, is I, I mean, nobody morphs into other people the way that Meryl Streep does. But Shirley MacLaine's interesting because she's a personality that can morph, um, that doesn't morph to different people, but somehow is able to apply itself to everything. She's, yes. I think, a more traditional movie star. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Agree. I would agree. She doesn't disappear into roles, but she does, she does fit in yeah a lot of different things definitely um okay one more question i want to ask you about this movie which part makes you cry the most or i'm sorry which part makes you well up the most um when she said i I feel like everybody says this but you know it's when deborah winger says goodbye to her kids i was so scared but i think it went really well don't you oh it's tragic right in the hospital room yeah uh, I know, it's that final moment where she looks at her little boy and she says, I think that went well. And he just looks back as he leaves the room, crying, and just nods his head yes and leaves. And oh my god. <laughs> Heartbreaking. It's so unfair to have little kids cry on camera. It's not fair. <laughs> just deliberately baiting us at that point. A hundred percent. Yeah, that would be the uh, moment. That is the moment. That's and the I moment. feel like, yeah, it's... That is it. Okay, so Terms of Endearment. Of the five movies nominated, is Terms of Endearment your best picture winner? Yeah. Um, Over Big Chill. Big Chill, Big Chill is, a, is a close runner-up, but I like, I like Terms of Endearment as a winner. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I would agree. Terms of Endearment is also my best picture winner. And it also should be noted as well that Terms of Endearment had the most nominations... 11 nominations, many of them in the acting categories, but that's, like, huge for just, like, a, you know, a tight family drama, you know? I think getting 11 Oscar nominations is kind of a big deal. So it was definitely the frontrunner going in, and it definitely also, I think, won the most as well. So, yeah, it is my Best Picture winner as well. I love Terms of Endearment. Can't recommend it enough. If you haven't watched it, just watch it. Check it out. You'll love it. And then call your mom and tell her you love her. <laughs> that's Please. that's what you need to do. Okay, let's look at next week. What are we getting into? 1984. Rance, we're going to talk about Amadeus. Have you seen Amadeus? This will be my first time. I'm so excited for you. I've seen Amadeus a handful of times. I... We'll, we'll hold off on my thoughts until we talk next week. But I'm really excited to hear what you think. I'm really excited. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, well, we'll see what happens. Yes, join us next week. We'll break down 1984. 